So there's a reason why my microphone is muted until I get up here, because I'm not a very good singer. So um, if we had a Church 21 talent show, I would not be in it. Uh, if I was singing with my microphone on uh, during corporate worship, you might think something is going terribly wrong. So uh, that's why we have a great band here who can lead us in worship with using their talents and their gifts in those areas. Um, I'm not the most, I'm not a talented musician. I'm not the most talented person, but maybe you are. Uh, and there's a lot of talent right here in this worship service. A lot of uh, work that goes on behind the scenes, making sure everything sounds good and looks good. And um, that's really great. So we get to see that every week. And this sermon that I'm uh, preaching today is about using our talents. Jordan just preached last week on our identity in God, our identity as children of God, and he looked at the story of Moses and how Moses took his identity from who God is. And now for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking further at what that looks like, how we invest ourselves in, in God's kingdom. And that's why this series is called Exponential, because it's about investing ourselves in God's economy, which is a bit different. And so when I talk about talents, though, I, I want to really broaden our perspective first of all. I'm not just talking about creative abilities, creative artistic talent, but really our areas of knowledge, our certain skills and abilities as we look at this. And uh, as we approach this subject of living out our identity in Christ, there are challenges we face, right? God created us in his image and because of our rebellion through sin, we've become separated from God. And what that looks like in a family is like we've been orphaned from God. That was our identity. But God paid the price to adopt us into his family through his own son, Jesus, the son of God. So now that we've become part of God's family through adoption and we're citizens of a new kingdom, what does that look like? And what are the challenges? I think a lot of the challenges actually come from within ourselves. When we think about what does it look like to be a child of God? What does it look like to be a citizen of a new kingdom in heaven? We think things like, well, I don't have enough time to live out my identity in Christ. I don't have enough time to do X, Y, Z on top of my full-time job and kids and everything. So next week, Jordan's gonna walk us through what it looks like to use our time. We think things like, well, I don't have enough money to, um, to be hospitable like Jesus might have been. So we think things like, um, I don't have enough money to invite people over for dinner several times a week. But today, we're looking at our tendency to say, I don't have the ability to make an impact in God's kingdom. I don't have the skills that it takes to influence people. So that's what we're gonna debunk today because I believe that we have God-given abilities, each one of us, talents and skills, and that because they are God-given, they are also meant to be stewarded or invested in God's kingdom. If we neglect this, if we squander the abilities that God has given us, if we hide these, then it's really tragic. Or even if we do use our abilities and our talents, but we're not doing it for God, that's just as much of a, of a waste. So I've called my sermon uh, titled a, particular, a Very Particular Set of Skills, which you might recognize from the movie Taken. And uh, there's a really memorable speech in this movie where Liam Neeson's character his daughter goes on a trip to Europe. She gets abducted and uh, he gets on the phone with the abductor and he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. So it's a really dramatic scene. Liam Neeson's character has this mission to win back his daughter, to get her back and rescue her. And he has a very particular set of skills. But I believe that we also have a mission just like this. And that we have a very particular set of skills for this mission that make us a nightmare for the enemy. 
I believe we have a very particular set of skills, but we might not all look like Liam Neeson. Maybe only Dave Long can have that role here at our church. But let's look at P.T. Barnum as a different example. My sister-in-law's brother is the casting director, was the casting director for The Greatest Showman, really awesome movie um, you might have seen lately. And um, as a casting director, he has a unique role in assessing talents and abilities. And when he's putting together a Broadway production, he looks for people with the best talent and uh, who can be the best singers, the best dancers, the best actors. And so he won an award for putting together The Greatest Showman. Uh, But what's unique about this movie, it's about P.T. Barnum, you might recognize from the circus industry and the circus history. So, but P.T. Barnum, he wasn't looking for the most talented, skilled, glorious people, at least on the surface. Um, And maybe we can relate to this. Maybe we look more like P.T. Barnum's circus. You've got the little guy, General Tom Thumb. You've got um, the Irish giant, <clears throat> Mike Ockley. Um, you've got, you've got the, the tattooed man, uh, the bearded lady. So these are some of the unique characters that we see in, in P.T. Barnum's circus. Um, but you know, what P.T. Barnum did is he, he looked for his, um, these characters in the various hiding places of society and he called them out of their hiding and accentuated their character and actually encouraged their abilities to display a unique community for the, the, glory, you know, the glory of their unique community to the world around them. But I think God is so much greater than P.T. Barnum because when God looks at mankind and he calls mankind to himself, he's not the casting director that scrutinizes every ability and says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm only going to choose the best. He chooses the unique people for his kingdom. So my goal today is that we would leave with a confidence that is bigger than ourselves, a, a confidence that comes from without, outside of ourselves, given by God's abilities, um, despite our fl- flaws and our failures, to display God's glory, which is bigger than ourselves. So as we do this, we're going to look at the, the abilities and talents that God the Father displayed in creation. We're going to look at how the Holy Spirit influences creativity. And we're also going to look at the Son of God and how he used his hands to glorify the Father and serve mankind and actually how he commands us to follow his example. Let me pray real quick before we actually get into God's word. God, you are such a good God You are kind to pursue us. And instead of looking at our flaws and telling us to hide, you call us out and you give us a voice. Without you, God, we are hiding. So with you, Lord, as sons and daughters adopted by our creator, all that we are and all that we have are yours. Amen. So let's look at the beginning of this story, as we look at the subject, at the topic of talents and abilities, we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the Bible. We look at the book of Genesis. And here we see that God displayed his creative ability and he also bestowed his creative ability. So let's look at Genesis chapter one, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So, in the beginning, God created, and he displayed his creativity there. But then, I also want to look at another um, scripture that kind of fills in the the poetic nature of how God created. And we see this in the book of Job when God had a conversation with, with Job. And in that conversation, he says this, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. He continues, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you com- comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. This gives us an amazing perspective on God's creation. Because in the first chapters of Genesis, we see all the handiwork of God in creating the earth and all that is in it. But here he's speaking to mankind in Job and just saying, what I've actually done is incomprehensible. You can't wrap your mind around it, can you? And it's really humbling to, to see that. Um, and it's awe-inspiring. So when God created the earth, he created it for his glory. He displayed his glory. And it was out of the abundance of his goodness that he did this, to reflect himself, to be a reflection of his goodness. And for us, as his creation, to enjoy him. In his creation, he specially created a garden. And this garden was a suitable habitat for mankind, his, his unique creation for mankind. And he named um, Adam and Eve at the beginning of Genesis. It was in this garden that God made man in his image and also bestowed his creative abilities. So we see from Genesis 1 and from Job that God displayed his creative abilities, but now he's actually giving those two to mankind. We see this um, also in the first chapter of, of Genesis, but actually I'll read that for you here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. This was all, again, for God's glory, um, that mankind would also be equipped with talents to continue creating, to, to manage and invent and innovate in the garden and to expand this kingdom with the God-given talents and abilities. So whenever we serve God in this way, whenever we're creative, whenever we use our talents, we're actually reflecting back to God as these sub-creators. We call this art. And I like how um, one artist, Jackie Hill Perry, defines art. She says, our finite attempt at creating something from nothing and saying it is good. This is what we do when we exercise our talents. Whatever your form of skill or art is, we're replicating how God took the void and dark presence of the earth and created it and spoke it into existence. This is how we mimic God. But something happened, something changed in the garden See, Adam and Eve, they were created distinctly as humans, and they were holy. They were righteous. They were in a perfect relationship with God. They walked with God. They talked with God, and they had this perfect relationship. But then something changed, and mankind became separated from God. Because of this, our abilities became hidden and became hindered. And one distinction in this garden was this tree, there's these two trees, and one of them had the fruit that would give the knowledge of good and evil. Determining and overseeing good and evil was God's knowledge, but God's adversary wanted to give it to Adam and Eve, and he deceived them into taking that fruit against God's command. And God had instructed them not to take that fruit, not to eat of it, 
or else they would die because they are not God. They cannot steward that. So in Genesis 3, 6, they did eat that fruit. They instantly became separated from God. And through their disobedience, sin made them aware of their rebellion through fear, through shame. And what they did is they hid. Genesis 3, 8 says that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So God displayed his creation. He bestowed his creative abilities for a purpose and for a plan. And now mankind has gone and rebelled from that. God approaches Adam who had just rebelled and he says this to him. He says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, Eve, who took the fruit and then shared it with Adam, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The plan never changed. God's purpose never changed. Even though mankind turned away from God, the plan was still in God's hands. And so he says, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So he, God still sends him out to work the ground, to use the skills, abilities, and talents that I have intended for you, but now they're hindered. And, and we see that it's even our tendency to hide. Just like Adam and Eve hid themselves, we tend to do the same. Because of our flaws and because of our failures, and because of the hindrances that we face in and outside of ourselves. But God doesn't let Adam and Eve just hide. He comes for them. He goes to them, he pursues them, and he calls them out, and he sends them out to continue with his purpose. But he gives them a lifespan so that it won't last forever, but that they would be reunited back to him in the end. So God continues to interact with mankind, but he does this through the Holy Spirit. So we see God the Father display glory um, in his creation and his creative abilities. And we also see this with the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, if you see how the Holy Spirit interacts with mankind, he comes with certain abilities to certain people at a certain time to perform a certain function or, or job. And a lot of times you read about the Holy Spirit intervening with mankind in situations of war or battle um, or a special word of direction, a prophetic word. But there's a really unique uh, chapter in Exodus where the Holy Spirit indwells one of Moses' uh, servants. His name is Bezalel. Check this out. The Holy Spirit said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is here to do what? With ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. So the Holy Spirit is actually still involved in inspiring creativity. And it's amazing the, what the work of the Holy Spirit does to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, and cutting stones and carving wood, to work in every craft. And he, he gave him Aholiab as well of the tribe of Dan to teach others um, to make all that God has commanded Things like the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, the furnishings, the table and the lampstand, the utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering, the basin and its stand for sacrifices, the finely worked garments that Aaron the priest would wear, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, all for the holy place. It's amazing uh, the level of creativity that God has here, you don't think of God as some boring creator who, if you were to go to his temple, it might look like an Apple store, just white walls and glass windows. It's very ornate. 
Why would God concern himself so much that he would send the Holy Spirit to design artistically? That's amazing. But it's for his glory. See, what's being described here in this chapter is God's temple, which is the center of his presence among people to display his glory and to draw people to himself. And God uses intelligence, knowledge, and artistic skill to do that, which is absolutely amazing. So God still uses skills and abilities and creativity to display his glory and draw people to himself. What would it look like if God the Father, who we just saw display his amazing skills and abilities just by speaking the world into existence, and we see the Holy Spirit coming to inspire artistic design, what would it be like if this God took on flesh, became a man, and had hands like us? What would he use them for? What would he do? In redemption, we see God's glory through, through um, the work of his hands shown and sown in mankind. And I ask, was Jesus talented? I wonder, was Jesus talented? If God who created the world became a man, which is what Jesus did, what would he use his hands for? Was Jesus talented? We, we read that Jesus was a carpenter or used his, his hands in a skilled trade. But we don't read about Jesus because he was the greatest showman doing all kinds of tricks and amazing divine things with his create, creation. We don't read about him being the best uh, craftsman in Nazareth or the best carpenter. We read about things like Jesus healing others with his hands. And in one instance, we read about Jesus uh, washing his disciples' feet. Our main verse that we want to focus on uh, this scripture is in John 13, where Jenny just read that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, he was going back to God. This was at the end of Jesus's ministry as he was preparing to go to Jerusalem for his final accomplishment on the cross. He was going back to God. He got up from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and he took a towel and he tied it around his waist. And he got down and he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. Just like this. Down on the ground. He began to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter and he said, Simon Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Their feet were, were covered in dirt and crud from the streets. But Jesus got down to get his hands dirty with that. And Jesus answered Peter and said, What I am doing, you don't understand now, but you will. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, But if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. Let me skip a little further to where Jesus, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments again. He resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand now what I've done to you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right, I am. But if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is sending them, and he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That's what he used his hands for in this, in this instance. And it's amazing to think about that, really, the humility of Jesus to get down 
below his friends and to get his hands dirty in cleansing them. And it was a symbol, it was an example of how Jesus would has cleansed their sins, has cleansed their, their soul of their sins and reconciled them to the Father. Um, and it was these hands that had physically washed his disciples' feet that later would be nailed to the cross, that would be pierced. Those same hands that washed those feet were pierced on the cross. On the cross. And that was the greatest display of God's glory. That was the greatest service to mankind as he paid for all sins, past, present, and future, by his one perfect sacrifice. This is what we see Jesus do in his ministry. But he says, I've given you an example that you should wash one another's feet. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So what does Jesus mean when he says to go wash one another's feet? Should we wash each other's feet? I'm actually going to have people bring in some basins. Look to the person at your left. And uh, we're actually going to wash each other's feet today. How would you feel about that? (laughs) You might be hesitant. Um, What would that look like? Some people do practice this. Some churches take a literal approach to Jesus's command here to wash one another's feet. And uh, maybe monthly or annually, they'll do that. They'll come together to wash one another's feet. And I don't think it's wrong to do that. But I don't think it's wrong to not do that either. Jesus had certain ordinances for his followers to follow, like when we take communion and when we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the washing of one another's feet... It's a different kind of ordinance. And Jesus says that he gives an example for us to follow. So what does it look like to do this today, to follow this example today? And so for the rest of this sermon, I really want to unpack the practical outflow of what this looks like to use our skills, abilities, talents in service. One of my favorite fast food chains, if not my favorite fast food chains, is Chick-fil-A. Anyone like Chick-fil-A? Can I get an amen? All right. (laughs) Chick-fil-A is great. It's a southern uh, United States um, chicken sandwich chain. And uh, they've gotten a lot of flack for being a Christian company. Actually, uh, let's see if I have it here. There's a picture of Jesus... Uh, washing Peter's feet. It's actually a statue at Chick-fil-A's headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. So there's a statue at their headquarters of Jesus in this chapter, washing Peter's feet. And that is their ultimate standard of service. And what Chick-fil-A is known for, besides just great chicken sandwiches, is their customer service. They, are, they go above and beyond to serve one another. And that's how they stand out. That's how they apply this chapter of washing one another's feet to display God's glory, and to serve the kingdom. So I think that we have also this example to follow in in displaying God's glory and serving others in different ways and in different areas. So follow with me here about different ways that we can glorify God. One of these ways is our talents. And I'm talking about creative, artistic talents. How can you be creative for the kingdom? How can you use your musical talents, your visual arts, your um, sketching, painting, drawing, graphic design? How can you use your talents for the kingdom? But more than that, what about our skills and abilities? How can your skills in whatever industry you're in stand apart from others for God's glory? One of my favorite quotes almost a motto of mine, comes from a pastor, Jeff Vanderstelt, who says, live your life in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. What does it look like to use your abilities in such a way that people have to ask, what is so different about the way you do things? What's so different about the way that you um, sell insurance or manage people's money or do X, Y, Z? What does it look like to stand apart in business? How do we use our knowledge? 
How do we use our knowledge? Um, and this is interesting because I think there are ways that we pursue our, a field of expertise. And then there's areas where we have um, entered into a field of expertise not wanting to. Let me explain. Some people spend four years plus um, getting a certain degree in, in their field of expertise so that they can go out and use that knowledge and they get a degree and they get a career. A lot of you folks here today are finishing up your semesters, having acquired a certain knowledge and given a, a degree to go enter a career and you've worked hard studying for that to enter a field of expertise. You might go into finance, you might go into business, you might go into teaching, you might go into the field of mental health, all different kinds of ways that we pursue knowledge. But I think there are, some of us um, are experts in, in things we didn't ask for, things we didn't spend time studying. So you may be an expert in the field of mental health, but not because you studied it, because you battle your own disabilities. Or as, as a special needs parent, you have the opportunity and the, the challenge and the calling to serve uh, others in that way. Maybe you didn't prepare for this in life, but it's been given to you through different challenges in life. If you've experienced something challenging like a miscarriage, how can that knowledge be used for God's glory having firsthand experience in that to also help others who are going through traumatic pain. Uh, I have a brother who is an expert in the field of addiction. This is his field of expertise, not because he studied addiction counseling, but because he's addicted to heroin. And he, in his time in and out of rehabs and transition homes, he's, he's seen 12 of his roommates die by overdose or suicide. He didn't ask for these things except by certain decisions in life. But now, because he knows Jesus and is a son of God and is battling addiction, he can approach people who are going through those experiences knowing firsthand what it's like to survive an overdose and being saved by God he can now display God's glory because of that field of expertise and he can draw others to God through that. There's different areas where we can also serve. We can serve God and serve others in our church family right here, right here in our gathering and in our city. We can serve others in our community and we can serve others in the world. What does it look like to serve here as a church family? There's so many ways. We can um, serve in some of the teams that we try to recruit for, like I mentioned the greeting team, the kids ministry, the security team, lighting and sound and the band. There's all different ways that we can be involved. And in a way, it is a lot like washing one another's feet because we're placing ourselves in a serving position, a servant's posture, below putting others above ourselves. So when you volunteer for something like kids ministry, you're actually serving, washing one another's feet, so to speak, so that parents can come sit here, take in God's word, knowing that their kids are being loved and cared for and being taught God's word. This is how we serve one another. These are some of the teams that we have, but there's also a lot of other needs that we have. Being in a bilingual city, a lot of you might have the gift of being bilingual and we could use your translation services. There are a lot of speakers that come to Church 21 and Eglise 21 and we could use translators. There are some documents that the church has and needs to share in French and we could use your translation services for those. We'd love for you to get in touch with us if you have that ability. What does it look like to serve the church in your field of expertise? So if you are an expert in graphic design, if that's your background, your career, then perhaps you can use that for the church, for the media and social media here. 
we do city groups throughout the city, and this is another way that you can serve by hosting a city group in your community, uh, by being uh, a host, by watching kids, by preparing food, by planning events, and by inviting friends. These are ways that we can serve the church family. Um, what does it look like to serve the community? There's a whole nother set of um, opportunities there by being a neighbor in your community, having an open door, being a regular in the local businesses around you. I would encourage you to get involved also in social services. There's no shortage of opportunities to get involved in food pantries nearby, youth outreach ministries, even at the university, if you talk with Dave, Fro uh, Dave Ritz about getting involved in Red Frogs ministry. And one particular need in this city that I've found is the elderly and the isolated. There's no shortage of opportunity to spend quality time with people who are in isolation. What a mission field that is. So there's a lot of opportunities to get involved in our community. And if you don't know, if you're unsure of how to get involved, Talk to me and I will literally get you connected somewhere this week. And we can also serve this world, the world around us and the world afar. Like I mentioned, my motto is to live your life in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. So we, you can let your work stand out in this world. You can have an impact in this world by your career. Maybe you work for a large company and you can take a position in a foreign country that you can make an intentional mission field just with your work. You can travel with a purpose and serve um, other global missionaries from around the world. So we've looked at how we use our skills and abilities in the world, here at the church, and in the community. And uh, I want to also introduce you to someone you might recognize who is living out his identity in Christ with his talents in our community and our city, province, and country with his musical abilities. So Joey is one of our musicians and Joey's gonna come up and uh, I have a few questions for Joey that are uh, gonna expound more on these ideas. So this is Joey. Hi. <laughs> All right. So Joey, what are your main talents and abilities that you're using for the kingdom? Uh, I describe myself first as a songwriter, um, producer, and then afterwards performer. Um, did you say in God's kingdom? Yeah, uh, and yeah. in the community. Uh, and in the community. So uh, professionally, that's what I would uh, tell people. And then, uh, of course, in God's kingdom, I'm just servant, period, uh, in whatever you need. Um, don't ask me to do your tiles, though. I'll screw up <laughs> your bathroom. But that's it, yeah. Nice, nice. You know, there's... There's a number of musically talented people, even here in our church, um, who dabble with singing, songwriting, guitar. How did you go from just playing your guitar personally to actually playing publicly? Uh, when I was nine years old, I, um, that's when I first picked up a guitar. And the first thing I did with a guitar is I wrote a song. And what came to mind about music is just that so many of my friends were listening to it, and, and I could kind of trace a line between what they heard on the radio and what they did in life. And I set out to say, well, why don't I make an impact there, um, knowing that uh, while I'm there, uh, I can let the gospel make an impact more profoundly in their lives, and, and hopefully that change will, will bring about a change in, in what's heard uh, from the music industry. Wow, that's really awesome. Um, how do you specifically use your talents in a redeemed way? Do you have a Jesus fish on your guitar? Or when you're writing songs, do you just like try to insert Jesus into the lyrics all the time? No to the fish and no to the, the Jesus insertion. But if you play uh, my second song backwards, you can actually hear Jesus. No, um, no so uh, I think the Jesus is snuck into my songs from, uh, from just the way life is, right? Um, the proverb says, like, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And I think when I write songs, um, most of my songs, I have, I'm not thinking about the gospel. I'm not thinking about Jesus. Uh, I'm honestly just trying to write about life. And, and what happens is that um, 
God has changed me and he's worked in me. And so when I write about life, often I'll go back and listen to songs I've already written and I'll be able to see something about the gospel. And uh, I think, uh, I think that, you know, just trying to work professionally in a way that like put the kingdom first and, and work as if you're working for God and serve people the way that you would serve God, just like you give a cup of water to, to a guy that needs water. Um, I think if you work in that way that, the gospel will, will actually just start coming through your work. If you're doing someone's taxes, uh, maybe those will be honest taxes mm-hmm. rather than dishonest. So, Yeah, oh man, that's awesome. How does your church family or your city group actually participate in your life as a professional and as a disciple of Jesus? They come to our shows! <laughs> um, I could probably point out like a handful of 15, 20 people that I've seen at uh, my band's shows. And over the years, they... My band, uh, and there's two, two of our members that, that uh, wouldn't profess faith in Christ. Like, that's not their stance right now. And uh, we love playing with them, Alana and I. Um, but when people come out to our shows and, you know, whatever, there's a birthday party. And honestly, it's been over, like, four or five years. They've started developing relationships with those people. And, and um, someone, I hosted, my, I hosted my birthday party at someone's place for my city group. And we invited our bandmates there. And for them, the concept that someone else, this family, would host my birthday party at their place. And they came and we started talking about video games. And then all of a sudden, it led to a conversation about, like, why do we enjoy violence? And it led to, like, justice and led to the gospel. And I don't get time when we're on tour or when we're composing to talk about the gospel. But it's when they see a community that's acting differently. It's when they interact with a community of people that um, it becomes evident that it's like, oh, Joey and Alana aren't this just like super happy, like cheery couple, um, but uh, that there's a community that's striving to become more like something or someone. And uh, I think that's spoken a lot in, in the industry. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how would you say you hope that through the spirit of God and through the gospel, um, people will encounter Jesus through your talents and through your skills uh, on top of what you just mentioned. Can you say it one more time? How, how, do you, how do you hope for people to encounter Jesus through the way that you do music um, in addition to what you just explained? Any other thoughts? Um, it would be amazing if, if people like, if people just heard the lyrics to the songs and it made them ask different questions, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. I think since getting to Montreal, I realized that as a musician in the, what we would call the secular music industry, um, I came to realize that if God, you know, says like, it's by the way that you love one another that, you know, they'll know you're my children. I kind of realized that probably the only people who are going to see that are the people I'm playing shows with Mm -hmm. alongside, like the bands, the managers I'm working with, the whatever, if I'm working with a publicist or a radio tracker, um, and especially the bands we tour with, that if, for example, Alana and I in the band, uh, if the way that we love one another um, can be a light to them, or if uh, we're working with other Christians in the industry, the way that we serve others, the way that we say, hey, as a band, we're going we're gonna to be professional and we're going to serve the people we're playing with, the people we collaborate with in a different way, um, we can lead in that way. Or um, I, think, I think they'll just... My prayer is that they see they see what God was asking us to show the world, which is which is His love, and that uh, it will demand an explanation, like you were saying. And and my prayer is that we would have boldness to to give the explanation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome! One last question would be: You've got an amazing platform because of your talents in music. How would you say that someone like me, with no musical talent, can also have the same hope of reaching people in our community? Um, well, thanks for sharing this morning in the sermon. Uh, I think you're, you're answering your own questions, but I appreciate, um, I really, I think that when it comes down to it, um, like I'm really thankful God gave me some sort of ability musically. Uh, I'm not the most talented, um, but I, I'm, I'm at least enough to play shows in Montreal and in small bars around Canada. Um, but 
I really think it's his spirit, you know, and, and, and it's, it's listening and obeying his word and, and believing and holding on to the truth that he has redeemed us. And, and uh, he is calling us to be a light in the world. And I think putting his kingdom first and so prioritizing that over, you know, your sometimes are, it's like the company that you work for that wants you to do something unjustly. And putting God's word before that, their word and at the risk of losing your job, I think is, um, I think it's worth it. You know, our jobs don't have to determine our relationships. Um, I think we can respectfully use our boss's time. Like, I'm not saying go to your job and use 80% of the time to preach the gospel and 20% of the time to get 80% of the work done. I don't know if that's realistic, but um, I don't know. I, I think one of the best times I had with my band, and so like time evangelizing in the music industry was when we canceled the practice and had uh, our bassist come over with his girlfriend and we just talked about finances as a couple. Mm. And I almost considered just like ending the band because like if I could just have suppers like this more often, mm. my whole mission is going to be more effective. Um, I haven't canceled the band because <laughs> sometimes I get crazy thoughts and I need people to talk some sense into me. But, but I think it's in the conversations around stuff often and, and being open to share your life and to, be, to act boldly. Like, do, like, we're not supposed to look like this culture. I think we need to, yep. to reconcile and explain why are we different than this culture. But like, in this culture, like, there's so many boundaries and I think understanding those boundaries is, is, is okay. And, but like, inviting someone over, being generous to someone, sometimes we don't do it just because we don't do that here. And it feels too bold, but I think like we can be bolder. Yeah. But we need to ask the spirit because without the spirit, you might be bold at the wrong time, and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm done. I, I keep going. Oh man, thank you, Joey. Awesome, dude. My pleasure, man. Yeah, thankful for you. <clears throat> man, that's great. So, guys, we can do this. We can do this. We have the abilities. We have the talent here in this room. We have the skills and the abilities because we belong to a God who is a creator and has given us creative abilities. And like Joey said, we can use those to reach a diverse group of people here in this city. And, but it's best to not do that alone, but to do that within a community who can give us guidance and show people that, oh, it's not just one special person or this one special couple, but there's a whole group of people that live this way. This is how we display God's glory. So as we do this, I want to wrap up with, with a couple of statements here. You know, we should go full force into this week and into this summer using our skills and abilities, knowing, though, that we might not always see the results. Joey might not see the results of his work yet every day, but we will see them when we get to heaven. It's the works that are done for the new creation and for God's kingdom, as we look at exponential, investing ourselves in God's kingdom, it's the works that are invested into God's kingdom that will be exponential. I prayed a dangerous prayer this morning for myself and the band from Psalm 137, which says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. And so far, my tongue hasn't stuck to the roof of my mouth, so that's good. And the band has sounded great. But what this psalmist is saying is that, God, if it's not for you, then it's worthless. If I forget you, God, then may my right hand forget its skill. But we work in faith knowing that the, the results will be exponential in God's economy. And if you're a Christian here today, it is because... Someone before you shared the gospel in a way that glorified God and drew you to him. And that person who shared with you had someone before them who shared the gospel by displaying God's glory and serving them, etc. So this is the work that takes place in God's kingdom. But it's all for God's glory. It's all for him. What's going to happen when we finally reach the end and we get to heaven and God says, Good, you've done a great job using your skills. You, you reached X amount of people. You used your talents and abilities. Now you're done. You can hang up your hat. You're here. 
You don't need those talents anymore. I don't think that's what the picture will look like. I don't think God created mankind in the beginning with these skills and abilities, stewarded these skills and abilities through creation, displayed them in Jesus, just so that when we get back to God, he'll take them away. I think that when we get to heaven, our skills and abilities and our talents will be unhindered. As Jesus has undone what happened at the fall when we became hidden and hindered, Jesus undid that so that we will serve him unleashed and unhindered. So I think that's what's going to be the picture in heaven. But I don't think we have to wait for that. I think that because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus has done today, we can exercise our talents and abilities unhindered and unleashed this, this whole week. So I'm going to pray and for us to do this work. And the band's going to come up and, and they're going to exercise their abilities and, and skills too. So God, thank you for your awesome work in creation that you perfectly and skillfully created uh, the universe and you created us in your image and you bestowed your gifts to us so that we could be like you and glorify you and and mirror you for your glory. And uh, even though we sin, we rebel, we hide. Jesus, you came and, and you were the second Adam who didn't disobey, but you fully obeyed and served God as the son of God. And you paid for our sins by your sacrifice on the cross so that we could know you. Lord, thank you. And Holy Spirit, please be with us. Be with this church this week and this summer as we go forth throughout the world throughout the community, washing one another's feet, placing others above ourselves, obeying the command that you set and the example that you set, Jesus. Help us to do this. And uh, amen.